1: This podcast is brought to you by Power, the reliable, quick, and scalable EV charging solutions for everyone and everywhere. And StarCharge, the largest EV charging manufacturer in the world, and is also a provider of residential and commercial battery storage. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Out of Spec Podcast. It's great to have you here in our corner of the internet. And we like to talk about all electric topics. I'm your host, Francie, and today I am joined by Kelly Carmichael. It's wonderful to see you here today, Kelly. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing good. Thank you, Francie. Good to yeah, be here. Yeah, thank
1: you. Great to have you here. And I want to start off by telling everyone a bit about you, Kelly, and then we'll get into you know, the interesting topic today that has everything to do with the question of which type of pricing for public fast charging is fair per minute or per kilowatt hour pricing, and it's not as straightforward as you might think. But over back to you, Kelly, you know, we met a few weeks ago and you told me all about your background and it is extensive. You've worked, you know, as a senior software engineer, senior architect, and again, software, and in general are very well-versed in the IT and software systems. And on top of this, you've spent over 13 years working in research for smart microgrid deployment and electric transportation to name a few but these are very dynamic and complicated areas of study so i was hoping you could tell me a bit more about your journey to where you are today specifically in how it relates to your journey to drive and to study electric transportation and you've been driving electric since 2011 like you said, and obviously you've seen a lot of change over time, not only as a driver, but working in this industry. So I'm really excited to hear of all you have to share today. And uh, hopefully, you know, we're going to have to like cut ourselves off because I'm pretty sure you have so much to talk about that I and our audience are very interested in.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah. So I was, I've been working as a research associate since 2010 at BCIT in British Columbia, Canada. And we focus on smart grids and microgrids grids and, and moving people off of traditional fuels for, um, for remote communities is one of the big areas that, that we focus on. And so that includes electric vehicles, EV charging, uh, we had one of the first level two EV chargers installed on, on my campus in 20 2010. And so I ran out and got on the waiting list to buy a Nissan Leaf on my (laughs) own. And I was EV driver number four in Canada for the Nissan Leaf and third in, in British Columbia. And so I've been driving electric ever since then. And when I started, it was really difficult to, to get driving because there was, there was no charging stations in the in the city. There, um, BC Hydro, which is our big utility provider, had, was looking at it, but they didn't have any charging stations of their own yet. Since I was in research, we, were, we were got pre-production EV charging stations, which didn't work all, all that well. Um, cars uh, didn't work, very well. Like we had a Prius mm-hmm. that we tried and we plugged it in and it broke the Prius. So it was very interesting trying to just get started. So so I did a lot of uh, uh, sharing of el- electricity of friends. So like I said, I said it was number three in BC. And so I knew the other the first two and we all lived quite far apart so we knew that we could count on each other if we needed a charge because there wasn't the infrastructure yet. Um, range anxiety wasn't about whether or not you could make it to the next charging station but finding an outlet that you could s- steal power from for a while and, and we would kind of get ourselves into trouble sometimes plugging into places when we think the store's closed, and we can't ask permission. And then the owner comes out and says, "What are you do doing plugged into my outlet?" And we're like, "Oh, I didn't know you were here. I would have I would have knocked on the door and asked for permission." Um, so, and they didn't understand how how much money we should pay them for using the le- electric, like a 110 outlet and we're like oh i'll give you five bucks for an hour and it's probably 30 or 40 cents worth of electricity but it was very it was much about whether or not it was convenient and, and it was useful for us to to get it And we didn't worry about how much it was going to cost us for the 30 cents of electricity um so, yeah so so it's been yeah. a wild ride
1: All right. A quick break from today's episode to thank our sponsors, Climate Exchange. For sponsoring today's video, I am excited to share this basically dream of mine. For you to possibly win a fully customized electric vehicle while supporting a nonprofit working on climate policy. This is Climate Exchange's eighth raffle, and there's less than a month left to enter, so definitely hop on this. Other online raffles might give you a few vehicle options, but nowhere close to this one. Their grand prize winner can choose any fully customized EV worth up to $112 thousand dollars. This is the price of a fully loaded Tesla Model X Plaid. So if a car on our show, any of the out-of-spec channels has caught your eye, now is your chance to drive home in it. Plus, they make the process really easy. They cover all the taxes, they pay for home charging, and they'll work with you to design and order your dream car. Plus, they also have cash prizes, so you can take home possibly two, three. Five or $10,000. Tickets have sold out for the past three years, so definitely don't miss out on getting yours right away. No matter what, your purchase is going towards a great cause. Climate Exchange is a nonprofit, and they're working very hard to help states pass policies that fight climate change, something that I take very seriously. That's the whole reason they're running this raffle. They know that EVs play a key role in reducing pollution and the proceeds from this raffle help fund their important work. You can buy tickets at www.carbonraffle.org or or just go to the show notes and click the link in the description. Sales end on February 27th, and the winners will be drawn on February 29th. And now, back to the show. It sure has. You are really an early, early adopter. And the, the beginning community was obviously very small, and the infrastructure was not there. So you've certainly seen that change over time from having to find an outlet from a closed store to being able to pull up to DC fast chargers that... Are delivering a, an incredibly higher amount of energy to your EV. So it's totally changed your journeys, a lot less waiting in between your destinations, I'd say, right?
0: Oh, definitely. Um, by 2014, um, there was some level two chargers, um, mostly but at city halls and municipal buildings and such that that we could use. And so we, we started to do a lot of um, range tests and hypermiling, as we know. And my parents live in a town called Merritt, which is quite hard to get to with a short-range vehicle like the Nissan Leaf. Um, So it would take me about 11 hours to drive 250 kilometers um, with the the level two charging um, stops in between. And one of the interesting things that came up was I got to the town Hope, BC, which um, people may recognize as the town where Rambo First Blood was filmed. And I stopped outside of the municipal hall, which had the only level two charger and the only charger in town at the time. And I was charging at about eight o'clock at night, waiting for uh, my car to get filled up, which would be about four and a half hours. And all of a sudden three RCMP officers showed up and started um, investigating what I was doing there because they thought it was really strange that I would be sitting in my car. Um, and, And I had to explain that I was charging up my electric car and so then the questions started to come because they didn't know what an electric car was or like, well, um, like how long are you going to be here? And I'm like, well, I'm going to be here for another three hours. And they're like, Oh, I think you should leave sooner than that. And you know, I mentioned that Rambo was filmed there because that's, the whole premise of the Rambo movie was that the police in this town chased this guy out of town because they didn't want him to be there so <laughs> so a little Rambo moment of having to deal with the police and and,
1: yeah.
0: and so what I what I took from that is not that I was upset by the situation but I then called the the RCMP in in, in hope the next week and talked to the the head of the police police department to, to let them know that you know you this is what was going on and and try to explain that people are going to do this um until the infrastructure gets better and he still didn't understand but so it was all about trying to teach them what was what I was doing there and and that make it easier for people and so that other people don't have this type of experience in the future
1: mm-hmm, but definitely a bit of a pioneer in that space being like, okay, this is the infrastructure is not here. Let me do my role in trying to educate so that no one else gets kicked out of one of the only resources for electric vehicle charging along that route in that area, just when it's so early. So what an interesting story. They're trying to run you out of town, which is when you need that charge. I mean, I'm sure that wasn't ideal, but it seems like you had a pretty good attitude about it. And, uh, you know, you are, as you said, in Canada, from Canada, and I'm in the U.S., of course. And I think a lot of our listeners, we have them all over the world, but a lot of them are familiar with the North American charging infrastructure and how that has grown over time. But I'd also love to get kind of your impression. So like for the Canadian perspective too, because how, how is that distinct? Of course, there's North America and we speak to things in, you know, in that context sometimes, but there are distinctions between, between how things have developed here and developed there in terms of EV infrastructure. And that's 2014, you know, you're talking about, and now it's 10 years later. So how have you, have you seen distinctions really between Canada in the U.S. and how that has been built out, or even the attitudes towards EVs, which you've all already spoken to a little bit. That it was like, well, I don't, I don't get it. So you get out of here with your electric yeah. vehicle.
0: Um, the U.S. has been much further ahead in the infrastructure, especially in Washington and Oregon State. They had this West Coast Electric Highway project, which was the West Coast Green Highway from California to British Columbia. Initially, that was Going to be a hydrogen highway, which then transitioned to an electric highway, and that made it much easier for me to to drive in Washington and Oregon. And so I spent a lot of more lot of my time driving in Washington and Oregon because it was just more convenient than in Canada. Ooh. And so we we got to do a lot of um, a lot of touring down the Oregon coast, which was a which was a really fun trip. Um, the West Coast Electric Highway had an interesting billing model that you paid fifteen dollars a month, and you got a, you got a key fob, and then you could use the fast chargers uh, on the highways uh, for that fifteen dollars a month with no additional fees for usage, and that made it really convenient. And so I've and I've seen lots of different billing models that were tried over time. The um, Blink had was free for the longest time, and then they tried a five dollars per session uh, billing model, which people it was it was a good deal, but people didn't like it because they weren't they didn't feel they were getting a value for the five dollars or someone would get more value than they would get and and so so that disappeared fairly quickly. Um, there was EVgo stations in in Washington State, and and I'm trying to remember if they were time based or energy based. I think they were time based at the time, and and that seemed okay. Um, it was a little bit more expensive this uh, um, than the other stations. Um, the The West Coast Electric Highway stations were great at first, but then we had lots of people started to use them. And um, so when I would try to travel, it became more difficult because you would show up at a, a Starbucks in, in Bellingham, where which is where the station was. And I would show up on a Saturday morning and it would always be the same people who lived in the area, who were sitting at Starbucks, reading a book, charging their electric car because I lived in a condo. And they were upset with me being there because they kind of felt it was their station and, you know, you're, I was intruding on on their, everyone had their specific time when they were going to use it. Um, so, the we saw that the flat $15 a month wasn't going to be a good solution long-term Um and a lot of people really wanted, wanted to start moving to kilowatt-hour billing, and that was where we, we saw what is known in the industry as gas thinking.
1: Mm. You pay
0: by, the, pay by the liter or the gallon for gasoline, and so they, they think, well, that's the, the way that we should get billed for our electricity at the, at the charging station is, is by the, the amount of fuel you got.
1: It it is interesting to see how we're taking the experience of industries that have existed for such a long time, the gas, gas stations, right? And how and trying to transfer these over into a new world with new sources of energy, new ways of getting around, even when it comes to the grid and measuring, you know, battery storage capacity. I was learning about how the units in which we measure that is not totally intuitive, but it's working with the the way that we have measured the power in the grid before. So yeah, really trying to adapt the present to how we've done things in the past. And yeah, I think you have great insight here. And before we get more into that, I, you know, I was thinking at Starbucks, you're sitting there, you know, they, they find that that's their, their, you know, their access, their amenity, their resource, and kind of brings the question up of charging etiquette. And I know that you said that you watched a, a recent podcast from the Out of Spec podcast where, The team and Rivian Tracker and I discussed if it's okay to unplug someone else's EV if they are at 100%, and I'd love to know your take on that as well. We kind of all said, probably not.
0: Yeah, Um, I do run uh, some EV charging stations at BCIT as part of my research, and it's and we uh, have cameras watching it so we can see all the interactions. And we have seen this as a problem where people will unplug someone else. And we've actually had incidents where people have uh, unplugged someone else's vehicle and then that vehicle that got unplugged will not charge anymore. So they come back to us and, and want to know who it was that unplugged them because they have damage to, to their vehicle um we've also we've also seen where people were really rough trying to take the cord out of other people's vehicles so mm-hmm. so it it i definitely see that I, I it's a problem trying to unplug other people i would say leave it up to the cpo t- um to to either advise you to unplug or get their permission first um the person that gets unplugged may be calling the cpo um first as a support issue um so so i would definitely say don't unplug other people it should be the cpo and it should actually be a billing a billing issue leave it so that the person can get billed for their actions
1: mm-hmm. yeah i i think so too i feel like it the responsibility doesn't lie with us but the things like idle fees congestion fees as tesla does you know those can make it so that there's incentive to get out of there, that you learn your lesson with a fine, right? And exactly.
0: That- there, if people gen- generally will change their behavior, um, if there's some pain involved, and and getting uh, an expensive bill for leaving your car past when it was finished charging, or even beyond 80%, mm-hmm. um, they will come back and say, oh, it cost me $30 to charge, and and I've seen that where, where people have spent $30 to charge their car and they were complaining about it. And I said, well, are you going to do that again? And they said, no, I'm never going to do that again. It's like, well, then I guess you, you've learned your lesson and and we don't have to go around telling people, oh, you should unplug at 80% as long as they're learning their lesson after the first time it happened.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely a question, and, and I'm sure you've studied a lot of this, but customer behavior. You know, how are we going to work to inform them? Because it's not always easy. You don't always have a ton of touch points with people either charging on your network or buying your EVs, you know, considering where you can get this information if you can deliver it to the customer. But yeah, I'm sure you've studied a lot of different behaviors on charging networks from drivers and been able to get some insight into that. Is there anything, you know, really interesting that you've seen in terms of behavior in that way?
0: Um, there's lots of interesting behavior, but um, a lot of it comes down to game theory and that the, the early adopters were kind of playing what was known as a cooperative game. Um, and as we move from a cooperative game to a competitive game where everyone plays for themselves and not for the good of the, the team, um, you find that people become more selfish. Um, they're only worried about their experience. And even if, they're exp- if they do something that is hurting other people's experience, they don't really see it as, as something that they should they need to worry about. So it's...
1: So mm-hmm. A move away from that communal mindset and community mindset into the individualistic mindset, which I... I mean, I don't know. I have only, you know, my years to speak to, but I do feel like I've seen a trend that way in general. So uh, I'm sure it can happen as the community of drivers changes to and in- include a lot more people and then also have the pressures of, you know, not enough ports, not the reliability that you need. So even more competition to obtain access to this resource in the way that you need it, which might turn your neighbor into someone to compete with, which is definitely not what we want to see in this you know when you're driving around or in society, much in general, in my personal opinion. Yeah. Uh, so- um, there's
0: another concept that they call diffusion of responsibility, and one of one of the things about diffusion of responsibility is, um, if you saw someone on fire and you had a there was a bucket you saw a bucket of water and you're the only person around, you're more likely to grab that bucket of water and, and put the f- fire out on the on the person but if there was a thousand people walking around seeing that same person on, on fire, they would say, Oh, well, someone else can deal with it. That's not something I need to worry about.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely. I I've actually, yeah, experienced something similar uh, where I kind of saw that the bystander effect. Is that the same thing? Kind of the same yeah. idea is like, yeah, yeah was... if, if someone else is standing by, they'll handle it and being, you know, having the, yeah, I think your mind is in a different space whether or not it's just you or other people. So a lot of, really interesting psychological factors that are something to consider as you build out a whole new system of the way that humans live, travel, work, interact with others, and spend time in these public spaces and with public resources. So I do think it's a really interesting, there's ways that we can think about it. You know, we've been thinking about the economics of natural resources for a very long time. So this is just kind of a new facet of it to study. And like I said, you know, you've been studying this for such a long time, and I'm already very fascinated with what you have to share. And something, you know, when it comes to behavior and how long you're going to sit at a charger, how you're going to use the resources. Of course, what we're, you know, part of what we're here to talk about today is the, the pricing and how there's not really consistency. There's not consistency across the United States. I'm not exactly sure how consistent it is in Canada in terms of how we charge people for their charging sessions, whether it's per minute or per kilowatt hour. And so I thought, why don't we kind of go into this interesting debacle because of course EV public charging networks are critical infrastructure, and we have not perfected this in the US, far from it. And when it comes to pricing, like I said, it's not consistent. And I would love if you could speak to that a little, the differences among pricing that we see with public charging networks today.
0: Yeah. So. In Canada, um, we had we had the initial rollout of charging stations, and su- and some places would charge by the kilowatt hour, um, but then after about six months, the measure uh, weights and measures in Canada, which is known as Measurement Canada, came down to to the operators like BC Hydro and said um, the the meters that are in those stations are not revenue grade. You're not allowed to use them for setting a price and and because it was early they said we're not going to fine you today for charging by the kilowatt hour um, using uncertified meters but you need to change and so of course BC Hydra said we won't roll out any more stations with kilowatt hour pricing and the existing stations would get Moved over to per minute billing. And so that was a very long process in Canada, just to that went through many, many um, uh, processes to get um, what was required to charge by the kilowatt uh, or the kilowatt hour, I should say. And that only really finished up about a year ago. And they have a, a, a temporary dispensation program. To allow st- station operators to charge by the kilowatt hour, if they indemnify Measurement Canada against any lawsuits by consumers saying that they're they were being shortchanged, um, mm-hmm. and and you could see that it, maybe not the consumers would complain, but maybe some comp- competition would complain that. Um, that someone wasn't doing it correctly. So in Canada, uh, until, until last summer, there was nobody charging by the kilowatt hour, and um, everyone was charging by the minute. And now we're starting to see the rollout of per kilowatt hour billing. And of course, people aren't very happy with it. They think that going to per kilowatt hour was going to be really cheap because they know home electricity is 10 cents, 12 cents per kilowatt hour. And so that's what they kind of were expecting when you change to per kilowatt hour billing at the DC fast chargers. In reality, um, it's anywhere from 35 cents per kilowatt hour, which is what BC Hydro is currently trying to get accepted. As as their pricing um, to seventy cents per kilowatt hour um, at some private locations, so per kilowatt hour is is all over the map. Um, t- for instance, te- Tesla's at thirty nine cents per kilowatt hour uh, in British Columbia, and forty nine cents if you're driving a non Tesla using the Tesla superchargers. So.
1: Mm. Yeah, it definitely is not the same kind of pricing that you would pay at home. And can you speak to a little bit of why the price goes up at these public chargers compared to the energy that we're getting at home?
0: Um, Yeah, so there's a bunch of things that go into the cost of running the charging station. Like if we go through the list, uh, you have um, BC Hydro um, as one of the operators. They lease land from superstore, so a grocery store chain will lease them for parking stalls to install a couple DC fast charging stations. Um, then there's um, the biggest cost is the demand charge, which um, most people uh, are not really aware of what that is or or why it is, and it's when you install a DC fast charger that's a 350 kilowatt, you have to pay for the 350 kilowatt deliver, you know not not the energy delivered but the power that is delivered for 15 minutes uh so the the most energy used over a 15 minute period um you then have to pay for that month and for the next 6 months so um one of the things that happens as someone with a with a Porsche Taycan Goes and uses a one of the charging stations, and they draw three hundred kilowatts for fifteen minutes. N- not, it's probably not realistic, but we'll say that they did. So, so that cost is going to be twelve thousand dollars for that one charging session, and then the station has to pay that twelve thousand dollars every month for the next six months, even if the charging station has been turned off. And so, that is one of the biggest costs. Uh,
1: Yes, definitely demand charges. I'm glad you broke it down like that because, of course, we can think that it's expensive to put a station in. That's one thing to consider, yep. all the hardware and the backend, but actually that there are these demand charges. And I know that working with EVgo, I mean, that was a huge part of the consideration of our work and also working with regulators, states, you know, to to give them the perspective of how expensive these demand charges are for public for cpos and uh really you know how it's how it trickles down to the consumer not really trickle down i would say goes right to the consumer really and impacts them so it can definitely get very expensive so thank you for you know helping to speak to that a bit and so thinking about the pros and cons of different pricing models and the us did see some changes in being able you know it was illegal in some states to charge per kilowatt hour but now it is it is legal to do that so how that changes changes just basically the way that we will experience and pay for charging and a lot of people were like this is great and then some people were like maybe not so great and it's circumstantial but some pros and cons of these different models uh, that I was seeing is that you know for permanent pricing, it's pretty simple, right? It's just per minute. But you could even say it's pretty simple per kilowatt hour. But maybe it also may incentivize quicker turnover at charging stations if you're charged by the time that you're there. But maybe, you know, a con might be that it might be potentially unfair for slower charging EVs, you know? Maybe you have a a Leaf and not a Porsche Taycan, you know? it's, It's different. Or it could maybe lead to some overcharging for slower charging sessions. What do you think about the pros and cons of per-minute pricing?
0: Um, so it's interesting because the, when you you break it down into how much cost is for the energy that's being delivered to your car. So in British Columbia, it's uh, oh, the cost of uh, of electricity in um, a large general service for commercial use is seven cents per kilowatt hour. And say so the cost is 40 cents from Tesla since so seven cents is actually the energy cost the the difference in that is $0.30, 33 cents. And that's to pay for the the equipment and the demand charges and, and stuff. And that really is a, a per minute cost or it should be divided equally among all the users in in my opinion which Mm -hmm. is why the per minute is mostly about time and it's only a little bit about the energy Um, and when you look at the other way if you bundle all the costs into the per kilowatt hour um, the the price is higher for everybody
1: yeah so yeah so what i was thinking about with the per kilowatt hour pricing is that maybe it's more fair, you know, or could be seen as more fair because it's based on that actual energy usage and then encourages efficiency and faster charging where possible. But maybe it's also kind of more complex to understand the costs, you know, for the users. And then maybe also there's just, there's again, variance in energy efficiency of EV models. So can we, can we speak to a bit more to the situations where permanent pricing may be more beneficial than per kilowatt hour pricing and vice versa because i know we talked about that before when we first when we first met and how it's again um, so, not straightforward
0: so when we think about this gas thinking model um we can if we look at different industries that may be more comparable to ev charging and one of the ones one of the industries that is. Is very close to EV charging is using a laundromat if you do laundry at home you're only paying for your water and the electricity at your residential rates and and you don't have any of the costs of of using this shared resource and um, occupying a space no one else can use while you're you while you're taking advantage of charging or in this case um, washing or drying your clothes <laughs> and and so when you're at the laundromat, they don't make you pay for the energy it took to dry your clothes. It's about the amount of time that you're, you're ocupi- occupying the dryer and you put your coins in and you hit go. And if it's not dry after, the, after the, you, you've spent the money, whatever they give you, 15, 20 minutes per, per, um, per $3, whatever it is today, and you, maybe you need to put in more more money and pay for another 20 minutes of time to, to get enough uh, drying time. And it all depends on what you're drying. Some people may be drying a lot of stuff and that are bulky and take a long time to dry. Maybe you only need to dry it to 80% and then you can hang it up.
1: <laughs> that's a so, good analogy.
0: Um, so that's the model I, I look at and say, well, Maybe we want. Maybe we want uh, laundromats to be fairer and charge by the the energy consumed. But some some clothes need to dry at a lower temperature, so they use less heat. They not as much heat, but they stay in the laundromat a lot longer. And the laundromat only has so many hours a day that they're going to be open for. So that's how many customers they can get through. And And so we can really compare that that as a a way.
1: Super interesting. So it doesn't give us really a black and white answer because it's dependent on how much energy you need to use, but also your circumstance might be different. So do you think it points to to clearly one kind of pricing that is better than the other?
0: Um, I think the best solution would be to charge for both. If we know that, that that using the station is worth twenty cents a minute, or maybe it's ten cents a minute for the station, and um, charge them the ten cents a minute to to be using the station, and everyone pays that ten cents, and then you get build on top of that ten cents, how many the price per kilowatt hour, and so the person using uh, a Nissan Leaf may pay less in kilowatt hours, but they still have to pay for the time that they, they use the station. And if someone's driving a Porsche Taycan that will get a lot more energy, they will pay more even if they use the same amount of time because they got a lot more energy and everyone paid for, for the, there's the same markup for everybody.
1: Mm, I see that. So that's far more complex than just per minute or per kilowatt hour pricing. Have you seen this kind of approach implemented anywhere yet?
0: I haven't seen it implemented anywhere yet. Um, But when Measurement Canada was was debating how they should allow people to charge for EV charging, um, the groups that I worked with had all promoted that they shouldn't, um, remove the ability to charge for time when they implement the per kilowatt hour, allowing the per kilowatt hour billing, which is different than what happened in California. California requires everyone to charge by the kilowatt hour, and so they can't charge by time. So that became a, an interesting comparison. That one way you in California, they they definitely wanted to follow the gas. Uh, Station model, and we were saying, "Well, let the CPO design um, their billing models as long as it's compliant with all the rules that they need to follow." Mm. And so, so I I would really promote this this uh, um, pay for time and pay for energy. Now, I'm going to throw a curveball in here: is that one of the things that hasn't been really discussed, in British Columbia, we have a um, low carbon fuel uh, credit system, so it's a carbon trading platform where uh, driving an electric vehicle, the, the CPOs will get paid based on how many megawatt hours of electricity they deliver to electric cars. Now that breaks down right now with the current pricing as it works out to 42 cents per kilowatt hour that they they make on top of what they charge the customer. Now what now my when I look at paying for time and energy, I would say the energy cost may actually go negative. You pay for the time using the station, but they're going to pay you 10 cents a kilowatt hour because you're you're supplying them these carbon credits by by charging with them mm. um, and some people don't like that idea because again it, it means the person with the Leaf would pay more than the person with the Porsche Taycan but the Porsche Taycan only really gets a cheap charging session if they get in charge really quickly for a few minutes and then they leave Freeing up the station for the next person, which is actually what the CPO wants. They want to be able to deliver as many kilowatt hours as possible. If, oh. if I had a, 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 I had if I had ten Nissan Leaf owners that go to a three hundred and fifty kilowatt station with a ch- with this Chatmo connector on it and we're all charging at fifteen kilowatts, we would be there for the entire day to get us all through and the cpo um didn't make hardly any money on the on the carbon credits or on the on the service that they've been they were providing so so that's one of this these interesting opportunities that's available
1: that is really interesting but it must be you know you can't do something like california did and make it you know illegal or you know against the rules to charge per minute but keep those options open so like you said the cpo can have the dynamic pricing model that they can because it's one thing that i get asked a lot too is like there's a lot of i mean you're talking about carbon credits there's a lot of federal influence there's tax credits there are grants there's federal incentives and subsidies that are supporting this infrastructure and then when when that goes away i don't know will or when it you know really comes down a bit what will stay standing. And so I'm curious these you know charge point operators are having to figure out how to break even on these sites, how to remain profitable. It's definitely been challenging. How do you see that going forward or do you think that kind of subsidies, tax credits whatever they are 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 more necessary than than maybe we hope?
0: Um so in Canada, we have a similar issue, similar um, grant where they'll cover 50% of the cost of installing a DC fast charger. Um, a lot of drivers don't realize that while they get this, the grant money to do that, if they make a profit over the next eight years, they have half of that profit needs to go back to the federal government as, so it's not really free. Unless they make no money. So so we do have that. I'm not sure how the NEVI uh, 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 contribution agreements phrase I'll have to look like into that.
1: that. Yeah, I'm not sure what you do have to pay back based on your profitability.
0: Um, some of the providers, like the utilities, they were trying to charge below cost just because they, don't, they they didn't want to ever have to repay the the money so they would they would lose money on charging but they knew that most of the people would be charging at home anyway for the majority of it so overall they they would make money by people having electric vehicles cuz they would be selling more electricity
1: it's it's definitely an interesting topic and i think we'll have to see it play out but i i when, of course regulation i mean this comes into the conversation all the time, and it really impacts the decisions for charging networks. Like in California, just some options just aren't an option. And if we're thinking about the sustainability of this business model and this industry, then I think it does sound like a good idea to keep it open, to not have too much uh, restrictive laws. I mean, mm. that's kind of what I'm picking up. I think there are some laws that dictate things but how how have you seen effective laws or regulations dictate how utilities or other providers can charge for electricity because i know there's also consumer protection concerns that you kind of spoke about before with the meters and i think in yeah. europe there's certain meters that have to be visible to the consumer so you can see exactly how much energy you got make sure that you're being charged correctly how do you see this all working together and i mean i think you've spoken to this a little bit but maybe some more
0: Yeah, Um, so in Canada, um, there's they have the requirements for certified meters in in the charging stations for level two stations. It's easy to get a certified um, AC meter because utilities have always sold AC power, so there's lots of certified meters available for. DC power, that's a problem because utilities have never sold DC power. So there was no certification for what a DC revenue grade meter should be. Um, And that's a certification issue and not a, oh, DC, um, accurate DC meters don't exist problem. There's lots of DC meters that are very accurate. And so we, so they just need to be certified. When I've talked to charging manufacturers, they want to put um, certified meters and get their products certified so they can get out of this temporary dispensation era. And they can't get the stuff certified yet because the certification programs haven't been established. So so that's kind of the issue in Canada to, to get everything um to the point where we can charge by the kilowatt hour and and stuff. So but but definitely leaving the framework open so people can charge unique ways to to make the cost more fair um, is is definitely what, what we're promoting. Um, per kilowatt hour may may be fine for some places. Maybe it doesn't work so well in other places. Um, and obviously, time is a is a issue. If charging stations get slow for whatever reason, um, so if the char- you pull up to a charging station and now it's only delivering twenty kilowatts instead of three hundred kilowatts, that per per minute rate should change. And how should that work? And we'll see more of that um, in the future as as more. Um, stations have battery buffers, and so they, they will charge up the battery and then be able to dispense at very high speeds without needing to have a huge demand charges, which will make the cost lower. But what is the value for a, a station that provides 150 kilowatts compared to when it runs out for the next customer and only delivers 10 kilowatts? Should it be the same price for the second customer as for the first customer? Or what if it runs out halfway through, and and we've looked at those kind of ideas, and maybe if it ran out halfway through, that you get billed only at the lower rate for the entire session because that. So what the quality of service you got was only really what the lowest um, uh, charging rate.
1: Mm, That that that's an interesting one because it's. I mean I think that's why some people who don't understand like why you dry, drive EV like this is a certain scenario where, where they would be like just get a gas just get a gas car because you don't have to deal with like oh you might be derated for who knows mm-hmm. what reason and we're still in in such a exploratory and experimental phase of this industry which is also why I think your point of keeping the framework fluid and open so that we can continue to experiment because we have not Optimize things or made them perfect is really important, and to not jump the gun on too much regulation before we've actually figured out what works best.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a saying that um, you know if um, if you ever heard someone say, "I'm from the government and I'm here to help," <laughs> well. <laughs> It's usually they're not there to help. They're to enforce some rule that is just going to make your life more difficult or more expensive.
1: I, I think a lot of people would agree with that sentiment, and of course, there's, yeah, th- I think that's that's a lot of what we're seeing here is that regulation does play a, a part in this, but we're still not exactly sure. The best way that it will do it, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of different interventions over your many years. And have you even have you seen something where something was implemented and then they said, "Oh, this is not working. We're going to have to actually just go back to what we were doing, or rewrite this regulation or law"?
0: Um, I can't think of of anything like that right now. Um, yeah. It's, so. Yeah. There's some comp there's well, if we look at what Tesla's doing, I look at Tesla and they and they're way ahead of everybody else in the industry. and so they do a lot of experimentation on their on their user base all the time. And so when it was only Tesla charging at Tesla stations and it's all the same type of vehicle, the same type of battery, the same charging curves, the the use case is always the same for for all these uh, cars, but now they're getting into, Supporting all these CCS cars with the uh, magic docks, and then everybody's vehicle in 2025 is going to be starting to, to use the charging stations. They've they've implemented their um, um, their well, they had their idle fees at busy sites, and now they're going to a congestion charge because with the Teslas they could change the the ending um, charging uh, state of charge amount. When it's busy to eighty percent or ninety percent, but mm-hmm. they can't do that to the GMs. They can't do that to the Fords. So then they they're changing to implementing um, their what do they call what do they call the, the
1: congestion m- fees? Congestion
0: fee. And so they're implementing the congestion fee at eighty percent or ninety percent, and and will charge you more. That that's very interesting. Um, in Canada I'm not actually I don't believe that's legal because because of the meter issue um, mm-hmm. if you're using a meter to set a price it has to be a, a certified and tested meter and since the state of charge comes from the car um, it, the car is not certified by Measurement Canada um, and it's not tested so normally at a gas pump they would come out every 18 months and test they would dispense a liter of gasoline and measure it it's like yeah okay you said one liter we got one liter, so so we're good they put a new sticker on it we don't want measurement canada to be putting stickers on everybody's car saying we tested the meter and the meter um the state of charge meter in the car is working Mm. Uh, and so that's That's something that's yet to be seen. And I don't mind Tesla going and trying these things to see how it works, but I wouldn't want the utility to to be running these programs because they can't react as quickly. The other thing that the state of charge um, meters may may cause to happen is this war um, uh, between the hackers wanting to, Fiddle with their car so that it reports a lower state of charge, and and uh, and so now we're we got this battle going on of so who can detect what the state of charge is while the car can, oh. can change that. Um,
1: can you tell me more about that? Why someone what this hacking is that you're talking about?
0: Um, well, I, I can talk to a, about. There's a commercial product from Q, QC Charge out of mm-hmm. san diego um, where they will install a uh, Chatamo uh, connector onto some older vehicles that didn't have dc charging at all but they have a little purple button on it that when you press it it would start reporting that the state of charge is half of what it actually is and they did that because the uh, west coast electric highway stations would shut off at 80 percent and so they would press you. Press this button, and now it would never reach eighty percent. And
1: wow, and they
0: continue and and if these companies start implementing this kind of rule, there's going to be hackers that come along and want to implement these ways to defeat paying more.
1: Oh my gosh, it to- makes total sense. Wow, that is okay. I hadn't heard about that. But yeah, if you're like, okay, I don't want you to be telling me how I'm going to charge my EV, I will figure out the purple button way to get what I want out of this. Yeah. Very interesting.
0: And I found that out because we had someone charging at my stations and I, I watched the state of charge change from it was got up to 70%. And then it went down to to 40%. And I'm like, how did that happen? And I, I contacted the, the guys that made it and they said, Oh, what, I don't know what that was. I, something must've happened. I don't know. And they wouldn't tell me. And then I, I ran into the guy who was charging and he, and he showed me the button on the, on just like, Oh, is that, well, that's very interesting. So.
1: Mm, so you actually went and figured this out. Cause I, yeah, you had to go to the really to the scene of, I don't know. Is it a crime? Yeah. Would you say it's the scene of a crime? Well,
0: it, will, um, it could be a crime in the future if we have if we're uh, going to bill some customers more based on their state of charge than other customers. Mm. It may be a crime. or pressing that button may be a crime. I don't know.
1: Definitely, okay. And you know the role of utilities we've spoken about a good bit here, and I think how utilities are kind of organized and regulated in the US versus Canada is different and you know utilities are learning how to adapt to more pressure on the grid to new systems to new new pulls and and needs for power at you know higher rates than we've seen before in general how have you seen the approach because you've also studied this too of course of utilities in you know coming and adapting to this new form of electric transportation
0: um, in BC, um, the, the utilities like BC Hydro are, are very much on board with this. And they're looking at at systems to be able to do demand response programs. They've done a lot of trials with demand response programs. And uh, that, that's working very well. Uh, the demand response systems with things like OpenADR is the one that BC Hydro is is using. Um, also when we're Um, Installing chargers in condos, Uh, there's a lot of energy management stuff going on in BC. Um, I was involved in writing a report for CSA on energy management and I'm part of the the team working on a a standard now for tri-national standard for Canada, U.S. and Mexico for what, what can be considered an EV-EMS and getting it tested and certified. Um, currently, there are energy management systems on the market, but there's no certification tests to call it an energy management system. So if you install one of these systems, you have to get an electrical inspector, you know, well, the electrical engineer to sign off on it and show it to the um to the inspection agencies, um, uh, that that they someone is is taking uh, ownership of the system to make sure that it's not going to cause fire.
1: Mm. Of course, yeah. Okay, so really interesting that you've gotten that insight. Of course, working in the and with the organization that you do work for and studying this, and it's great to see and hear that it is embraced within bc and the utilities because i don't know if you're not working together in this space we're gonna have you know no chance of figuring it all out and as we've shown here today just in you know a couple different topics it's very complex and i'd love to know you've you started driving electric in 2011 and now it's however many years later where do you see the the future going because i think now like wow we're covering the you know, the birth of this industry and this way of transportation, what is it going to be like when, you know, I'm an old lady, I'm going to look back and be like, wow, look, I had no idea what it was going to turn out like, but, you know, maybe, but now it's a solid, hopefully it's a solid system. But what do you see going forward with the trends that you've noticed? um, Maybe the biggest challenges that you see us perhaps overcoming or general trends that you can kind of predict looking forward based on what you know?
0: um so there's a lot of areas that are very interesting that are that are just starting to like to make it to the market like the v2g type markets is very interesting but I I don't actually see a lot of people using v2g um they're using more v1g so um and v1g is kind of like controlled charging and that's what the utilities want is that they can turn your charger down when when they need to Mm. and you can get about 90 percent of the functionality of v2g by using just v1g um, controls and that doesn't cost anything for the manufacturers to have in their vehicles Um, so we can we'll see a lot of v1g and places where they do have power issues, we'll see, we'll see a lot of v to g implemented and maybe it won't be v to g but maybe it'll be batteries to, to grid. Um, a lot of storage built into, in, into the, either the building or maybe it's a curbside where the transformer is now that the utility will run. So those are the areas that are interesting that, that we may not be thinking about a lot yet.
1: Because mm-hmm. I know you're right. We do speak about V2G, but some of a lot of the benefit, I think, does come from the V1G access. So that's really interesting to think about. And then, of course, battery energy storage solutions, I think, are, are is very interesting because not only does it consider how are we going to, you know, manufacture and advance battery technology to be uh, even more efficient and perform Better And then be able to take advantage of renewable energy resources when they're available, store them, and then be able to use them back uh, efficiently and really take advantage of the renewable energy resources that we have because it's been an opportunity for so long and just really figuring out how to take advantage of that opportunity has been uh, something interesting to watch and to learn about. and. I think those I agree. Those are really interesting things to look forward to. And I I think that with the, you know, we've seen sl- slower, slow rates, slower rates in EV adoption, kind of re- in recent history, at least in the US, you know, maybe automakers haven't hit their goals. But I think it will continue. Do you?
0: No, I definitely see it continuing. Um, In the area where I live, uh, there was a a published report, late um, about two months ago, that 16% of all registered vehicles in my neighborhood are electric. Nice. Not new vehicles, all vehicles. And so, wow. um, so that's great. It's unfortunate for me if I ever need to use a public charger nearby because <laughs> there's a lot of condos that don't have uh, home charging yet, which is one of the areas I I really have. Been pushing to get more people into EV EMS systems for for condos. With an EV EMS, the cost of installing a charger or the the not the charger itself, but all the wiring up to the charger, up is about thousand dollars per stall. Um, but using dedicated. Uh, uh non evms solutions it's more about $5,000 per stall and and so that is where i've been focused on trying to get these condos set up and yeah $1,000 a stall is is a lot but it's a lot cheaper than 5,000
1: it's a lot cheaper than 5,000 and i've been speaking about this more too lately because there have been estimates on you know if we have a if we're going to adopt millions and millions, tens of millions more EVs onto the road. It's not just DC fast charging. We do need more stalls and more reliability, of course, but the level two charging that you're talking about at condos where people leave their cars overnight, where people live so that they can take advantage of that and not have to use DC fast charging. And it's an interesting conversation of how are you going to sell this to property management, property owners, and and how will the demand from people who drive EVs really play into that? Because, of course, you know, having a nice gym in your apartment complex, the pool on the roof, that's cool. But if you could just charge your car overnight and not have to think about that, I'd say that that's a pretty big value add for a place to live as well.
0: Yeah, it's a huge value for the building um, and for, well, for the owners in the building and for the building itself. As we, were, we talked earlier about this carbon credit idea. If you have five or more EV chargers in your building, um, the, the strata would be able to collect these carbon credits at $0.42 cents per kilowatt hour for all the vehicles charging in, in their parking mm-hmm. lot, which would actually cover most of the cost of charging. So, so it would recover the $1,000 per stall um, in like five years.
1: And, of course, you know, we were talking about per minute, per kilowatt hour charging for that fast charging scenario. But then this here, it seems very, I mean, it seems way more clear to me that this would be per kilowatt hour charging. Or do you still think it would be a dynamic model?
0: No, um, it would be, um, well, it would be a per minute and per kilowatt hour. The per minute value is actually zero because uh, it's your dedicated stall and so you wouldn't need to charge them anything because it's there. You're not inconveniencing anyone else for using that equipment.
1: Mm, okay. So it's just that value in the formula might be zero, but yeah. the formula still contains it. Okay. Very interesting. And I'd love to, um, you know, microgrids I think is so interesting and a topic for another podcast. Cause I know you've done research in that and actually have implemented microgrids and there's so much to learn there about how, how to, how, how effective they can be, how we can build them into more of our societies, our communities, not just, you know, solar rooftops on top of your home, but workplaces, municipal buildings, whatever it might be. So I would love to dive into that because I do know you have experience there and I, 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 you're just a wealth of knowledge, Kelly. And I so appreciate your time and energy to come and talk about this because it, it it kind of does maybe seem like on the surface, oh, what's fair is just pay for the energy that you get. Or maybe some people think pay for the time you're spending there because you're taking up a valuable resource, but it is far more complex than that. And I really enjoyed you diving into the details to explain just how complex and from your research, how you think we should go about it.
0: Thanks, Francie.
1: Of course. Yeah. I So I hope to have you on to the podcast soon. I think our audience will enjoy this conversation because I know I did. And I think there's many other topics that we could dive into as well. So I'd love to know from our audience too, what questions you might have from Kelly, just kind of getting a glimpse into his, his experience and his background and his just plethora of knowledge of the intricacies of the utilities, the energy, actually driving electric, and then watching it, of course, evolve over time, because that's a lot to collect. And you really, I can, I can tell it's just absolutely, you have so much of it that you've been thinking about. And I think that kind of approach is just so important as we move forward with this, as we call it, critical infrastructure and a critical new way of building our world into the future. So everyone, let us know what questions you might have. We really appreciate you tuning into the out of spec podcast and we will see you next time on the next episode. Bye-bye. Thanks, bye bye. Thanks, Kelly.